It can be scary when you think about how much of our so-called personal and confidential information is actually accessible in so many places and by so many different people and organizations. You need to learn what's being done with this information and how to keep yourself secure. Welcome to My Connected Life with Tyler Cohen Wood. When you're in control of your data in cyberspace, you feel all the more secure. Now, here's your host, Tyler Cohen Wood. Welcome to My Connected Life with Tyler Cohen Wood. Today, we're going to talk about our top two predictions for 2022. And I am so excited and happy to have two wonderful guests. Um, I'd like to introduce James Alaban, Senior Security Strategist for VMware. Hi, James. Welcome. Hi, Tyler. Thank you for having me today. So happy to have you here. And Karen Warstel, also Senior Cybersecurity Strategist at VMware. Welcome, Karen. Hi, Tyler. We're just so excited to be here. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for being here. So, you know, we've had a really tough couple of years, and there are so many predictions that we have for 2022, but we're going to talk about two that we think are really important. Um, The first is kind of obvious seeming. Um, we're going to start seeing more strategic attacks that have a greater impact than attacks we've had before. And that's going to include more attacks on critical infrastructure. So what do you guys think about that prediction? I mean, we've just recently had, um, we, we've had solar winds, we've had log J4, and these are absolutely critical, critical um, attacks vulnerabilities opening for an attack. Yeah, and I think it, it's, a, it's a great start, Tyler, in that sense. And I think like 2021 has just set us up for the future, in, you know, in the sense of like, you know, copycat attacks that are continuing to happen. Uh, and we just, you know, it's just the starting sense of like the painting, you know, the, the writing on the wall in, the, in that sense. You know, we, SolarWinds kicked it off and we, we kind of all went, oh, wow, like what a major attack that we have in front of us. And then, Colonial Pipeline happened and then the Microsoft Exchange vulnerability and you just continue to kind of build this tandem effect yeah. ransomware of a service that, that, that happened as well. And from that point of view, you know, for, for me and, and to kind of kick this off and, and Karen, feel, feel free to jump in after this is, you know, co- you know copycat cyber attacks on critical, in, in critical industries will just continue to disrupt human lives long into 2022. And um, we saw the start with Colonial Pipeline just this year. Yeah, you know, um, Tyler, we're in December now of 2021, and I have to say that I think most of us got smacked in the face this weekend with the reality that we live in a zero-day world, and we have to now expect that that is the that is now the 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 turn the tide is turned in in the in that we're going to see those over and over and over again. We had more zero days in the first half of 2021 than we had in the whole prior five years combined. So that's now the new norm. And looking at the nature of the attack, um, I think we have some pretty interesting um, prognostications about, about the role of open source and about how we use open source and, and whether we need to make some adjustments in the way that we approach using, you know, these code bases and without having an adequate threat modeling um, process in place to allow us to use it. I mean, we're looking at, in a cloud-first world, we're looking at software-defined infrastructure everywhere. And uh, the, the quote I saw this morning as I opened up my email, was that the the log4j code base is implemented so widely, it's as ubiquitous as salt. And if you think about that, um, the the potential for the first wave of the attack to be, okay, we're going to I see this zero day that's going to come out there and show that we've got this vulnerability everywhere. The very next thing that follows on its heels is a worm. And mm-hmm. now we have a whole new level of, of 
persistent problem. So yeah, we have, we, the world changed this month it, um, it, in, in a significant it, way. It did. And, and, and for those of you um, who, who aren't familiar with uh, some of the terms we used, um, zero day code is hacking code. You can think of it like um, malware that no one has seen yet. So it's brand new. And that's why it attacks so quickly. And that's why it can be as serious as it is. And why don't we kind of delve into the log4j attack a little bit? Um, Because what you said, Karen, you're you're 100% right. This is very scary because this is open source code that pretty much everyone has and is using. And this exploit makes it so easy that I suspect my miniature schnauzer could probably attack somebody using this code. Right. It doesn't even take authentication to do the attack. Something as simple as uh, changing the name of your iPhone on Apple could trigger uh, this vulnerability. Um, And so, yes, it's like it's triggering. It's triggering in Minecraft. It's like kind of kind of a a whole new a whole new level of, of of exposure because it's it's trivial for this to, to get started, yeah. And, and let's just remember as well, and I think it's important to add that, let's just remember that you know, nearly two years ago, we, we, the pandemic created the perfect storm. Yes. And then the perfect storm was that, you know, we, we all are, are working from home and organizations, you know, this, this pattern of events is not something that's just happened by, by chance necessarily. It's creating that perfect storm where, vulnerabilities, zero days, uh, malware, cyber criminals are opportunists. We say this every single time, cyber criminals are opportunists. And what the perfect storm created was that people working from home and organizations just weren't set up to protect organizations in this, this landscape. It, because so it was the, it was immediate. It was one day you're going to work, the next day you're working from home, and it's just like sudden. <laughs> exactly. And when you build your secu- when you build your security fences, like the way you know I always try to articulate it is, it's like having a bubble wrapped around your office. Like you have your office, you wrap a bubble around it, bubble wrap, whatever you want to call it, and you protect it. And you're protecting from the inside out. You're protecting everything that tries to get in. And all of a sudden, overnight, that somebody put a pin in that bubble and, and burst it. Because now everybody, that bubble is, is, is so much bigger. And, you know, from that point of view is, you know, organizations have to change their strategy, have change their tactics and try to invest somehow overnight in security, which we, in reality, we didn't know any organizations. I have a lot of empathy in that perspective that any organization just didn't know how to protect however X amount of users, whether it be 100 or 1,000 or whatever it might be, in such remote locations overnight. And then, you know, from that dwell time just became such a big characteristic of, of the pandemic for me because, you know, we saw it wasn't that attacks were happening overnight and within seconds uh, an organization would be attacked and, and we, would see the, we would see the effect of that attack. You would see organizations being attacked and didn't know about that attack for months, if not years from time. And, and, and you, you know, Tyler, you mentioned it earlier with solar winds when it's, very likely that six to seven months beforehand that attack actually took shape and the dwell time and we're given attackers opportunity opportunity to to ultimately learn about our organizations behind our learn about our organization and our infrastructure behind our back um yeah. and we don't know about it yeah it's um it's a pretty um we, we i just picked up a book over the over the weekend and it was called, um, they tell me this is how the world ends. I highly recommend it. But wow. you, you're, it starts with um, setting the stage of what happened back in 2016 in Ukraine when we had a massive cyber attack yeah. that affected the entire. It, 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 it broke down the power grid. Yeah, and, no picture. Right. And so, but what, but what led up to that? was the leakage of all of the um, hacking tools and intelligence about the holes that exist in our infrastructure by the NSA. 
And so when we have essentially all of the intelligence about how to break into things with zero day efficiency um, already out there in the, in the wild, right? Essentially, and in the hands of, of uh, potential adversaries, then I think what we have to do is say, all right, you have to assume now that whatever, whatever exposures we, that might be out there, that they, there is a way to um, expose them and it's already exists. It just may not have hit you yet. Right. And, um, and as James pointed out, we increase the attack surface dramatically when we send dramatically. home to work. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so it's really, sorry about that. It's really a perfect storm and, uh, and our mindset has to change. We, yes. we're, and so from a prediction standpoint, right. I'm my, my hope is the p- most positive prediction I could make on this is that we go, Hmm, like, uh, this is the world really made a major, major shift in 2020 and 2021. Mm-hmm. Now we see the extent of the damage that can occur in very rapid fashion in a very widespread mm-hmm. fashion, like you said, and could affect critical infrastructure uh, um, very easily. So what do we have to do? Let's just pretend we could wind the clock back a little bit and say, what would it have taken for us to see this and to prevent the problem that we saw with Log4j? Um, and what would we have done differently to make sure that we knew that? And I think one of them, one of those things would be that we have approached understanding everywhere when we use open source libraries um, that, that somehow we know where they go. Like it's one thing that it's ubiquitous as salt, but if I know where all the salt is, at least I have a head start, right? Right. But 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 like you said, uh, to tack on your point, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, but this was such a good point. The attack surface is so much greater, and it has been so much greater because you have your kids now. It's at, not so much anymore, but for 20, 20, 2020 and 2021, kids were at home. Do, it's doing school. That also broadens the attack vector. So, and there was another thing too that that we really need to take into consideration here is people were terrified. People were absolutely terrified. And when you're terrified, you miss things. And we, we all know that hackers, oftentimes, it's, they rely on fear, urgency, and, manipul- and, and human trust and the desire you know, to, to help. And I think, you know, that's just something that also, it, like you, it's just a perfect storm of, think, of think, things that went wrong. I think you, I think you bring up a great point there, Tyler, as well. I think, you know, if we roll the clock back and say, well, hey, you know, we weren't just asking security teams and, and, and people across the organization to say, oh, by the way, you're working from home, be more security aware. And the security teams, can you make sure that, you know, you're, you're, checking log codes or scanning the that wasn't just the question it was also oh and you know make sure that you're avoiding the, the a very unknown virus at that moment in time and then you may have a family member that's in hospital or you know whatever situation personally that you may in i think you're absolutely spot on there it wasn't the case of this was just a a a, a, a situation which meant that we was working from home and there wasn't anything else going on at that moment's time but actually people's lives were 70, 80, 90% consumed by external influences, which created that fear and created that, that uncertainty in people's lives, or they potentially were unwell or ill, or whatever that may be. You may have had people, you know, and we, you know, Karen, you, you speak so elegantly to sock burnout, you, you but, do, then, really but, but, but then when you speak, you know, when we speak about sock burnout as well, and we say, well, actually these under-resourced teams were more than likely more under-resourced because people are teaching their kids from home. People were unwell and off work. People were not necessarily 100% like head-focused. And again, because they had external influences as well. When you put all of these together, absolutely, like it could not have been more of the perfect storm presented to to cyber, cr- cyber criminals overnight. And 
Um, and again, I, I mentioned it earlier, you know, I have a huge amount of empathy from, from that side. And I think, you know, if there's anything in 21 that we can move into 2022, it's, it's actually learning from not necessarily mistakes, but learning from, from different areas to, to try to turn the tide and try to ensure that we can actually be ahead of the game. Um, you know, really simple things, patching the environment where possible. If you can't patch, micro-segmentation is such an important part of just ensuring that we can actually mitigate. And when I say micro-segmentation, think about you know, your home and thinking about just making sure that you have a fire door in each part of the house. So if the fire starts in my office, for example, I can ensure that that fire is not going to spread to other parts of the house. You think about that in a in in a in in a vulnerability terms or a, a malware piece of terms. It's stopping that malware traveling across the organization. You know, that's that's just really simple things that we can make sure that we've got in place. You know, you mentioned it earlier, Karen, about scanning the environment and the code base as well, making sure that you're just constantly fishing and looking for things in the organization. And um, there's one thing I did want to add, which is also, I think. And, and, and I really like to add this in is I think no matter who you are in an organization and where you work and what position you hold, go into that job and, and go in tomorrow with this mindset of I have a responsibility for the organization I work for to, to be security aware. And I have a responsibility to question things. If I don't think something's right, I question it. I go and send an email to IT saying, I've received this email. I'm not sure what it is. Can you, you know, and just bring, we, if we all have that mindset of going into work tomorrow, trying to be more security aware and, and just trying to have a, a stronger mindset to helping the organization, I think there's a lot of positive influences there as well that we can, we can help organizations with. That's, uh, there are so many great points there. So many great points because yeah, it was, it really, really was this, this, this perfect storm. Um, and, you know, having things like log, log 4J, you know, that does can affect everything. Um, I think there also is a feeling of sort of being helpless because in a way that's a situation that I don't have personal control over. And I think that that's sometimes hard. And I think that may be where the line between cybersecurity people like us, we're just paranoid by nature and we're always looking for holes and what's going to go wrong and, and everybody else. And cybersecurity is more of a, of a nuisance, but it can't be that anymore. Every job role is going to have to have, you have to have some level of cybersecurity experience coming into the role because it's just too critical. You know, it's, it's like both you, Karen, and James said, the attack surface is, 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 is huge now and you have to understand it. It's kind of as important as understanding, you know, learning in school, reading, math, you know, writing. This is this is just as important because it affects everything. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of effort to try to make everybody part of the cybersecurity team with varying degrees of effectiveness. Um, you know, that's been something that we've talked about for years. Um, the, the fact of it is, is that until we get this to a place where it's automated, and it's kind of just, we have automation and orchestration in a way that allows us to handle this very complex cybersecurity situation that we have now. Um, we, we, we can put all of our best efforts on that and say all the right things. I, I agree with what James is saying, but practical experience tells me that human nature will not really pick up the baton and say, okay, we're all going to be, you know, primo cybersecurity aware now. Um, and the, the fact of it is, is that the types of attacks that happen and the sequences that they follow in many cases, particularly when it's in a retail kind of a setting and everybody's shopping at home now, um, works 100% of the time with somebody. Right. Of course. So, so that's why it continues to grow and becomes, you know, with the, the projection of, you know, a $5 trillion industry, you know, in the next couple of years, the reason for that is it works. And even, 
even with all that we've said, this is why I think all that we've said, it's still really not picking up, even at the corporate level. And, and uh, you know, as a former CISO, I can, you know, I can remember the kind of conversations about needing to say, you know, this is how we need to this is how we need to take security seriously. And they're always feeling like there was this trade-off between business, speed of business and doing things in a secure way. And I, I really think this coming year is where we must find the way to marry the speed of business yes. with the essential underpinnings of doing so securely because the consequences now are clearly, clearly, way too dire if we don't do that. Right. Because we are, you know, what after what once once COVID hit and it was March 7th and everyone's at, at home now, we became, I, I would say 99.9% reliant on technology. And we've been reliant on it for a really long time, but it became more important. And you know in a way, I, I have to say that I, I'm, I'm, I'm absolutely ecstatic that our infrastructure was able to handle that and that we could, we could adapt to that so quickly and so flexibly. But I, I think now is the time. I think 2022 is going to be the year where the new norm is going to start to settle. And whatever, whatever that's going to be, I think that's really the year because we've been through this. This is now two years. So <clears throat> I think we're starting to, to get better at some of these things. I mean, I will say one thing that I've seen this year that, that I just think is great and in 2020 was kind of a collaborative, um, we're in this together, but innovation, like we've never seen before. I mean, I think that, that there were some industries, especially the healthcare industry, where um, innovation just shot through the roof. And not all innovation is good, but a lot of innovation is really good. And I, I do think we're going to see more of that, new methods, new ways of doing things. And I, I do hope that cybersecurity is being taken more seriously. I, I think that it is because I'm starting to see, at least at the government level, um, more things being done to help uh, people with ransomware attacks. But I, I don't know. Like we said, I do think some of these attacks, again, are going to have a much bigger impact than they have before. And I think I think on, on that, and, and you know, it's it's a good point that I, I do think that the the last you know, nearly two years, let's say, but the last nearly two years has been such a collaborative effort, and we've certainly seen the you know I, I look at it and go like wow, like a pandemic could have genuinely hit at any time in the last hundred years, and it actually hit us in a part of our our life. And a part of you know, you know, it, it's like it actually hit at a time where we were actually able to work from home. And I'm not necessarily going to say we could do that fully securely because we proved that we can't necessarily. We can, but it takes a maturity and it takes an adaptation to that. But you know, if we think about had this have hit 15, 20 years ago, before the rise of the public cloud, before the rise of software as a service. Could we have successfully gone and worked from home and businesses to a certain extent being survived, you know, full stop survived, or would so many more organizations fall on their knees or gone out of business because 20 years ago we may not have been able to survive? And I don't believe we would have. So, you know, from that point of view, um, I think we, we are in a position where we can go into this hybrid world and remote world where um, and, and successfully survive. And I do believe that. And I think, you know, if it, again, into kind of my prediction is, yeah, absolutely. In 2022, I think that the hybrid world will become the new, you know, will become the normality. It won't just be a, a transitional period and it won't just be a, a mitigation, um, a mitigation from that point of view. You know, how, how often, you know, do you could imagine now, like, you know, the employee, the employee request will be, well, I want to choose where I want to, where, where I want yes. to work, and and we should be able to have that. Um, so I think that's, you know, I think that's an important consideration from that point of view as well. I love your optimism, James. 
I do too. You have to be I, optimistic. It's great. I'm excited now. I'm like, Here's, yes. Okay, so here I'm going to be the the big buzz. Please. It's precisely our interconnectedness that's going to cause the biggest problem. The interconnected, the interconnected nature of our ability to get work done, and you know the fact that. Um, our, you know, our computers are essentially the bridge for us to everything we need to do, whether it's in our personal life or our work life or our smart home or our car or whatever that is. And having, having ubiquitous code embedded, uh, I'm, gonna, I'm coming back to, to the, the wake-up call that just happened. Having ubiquitous code that is vulnerable, embedded everywhere, in, in, in such a way that it makes it very tough to remediate when we find out that it's subject to a zero day, like we just found out this weekend. Um, what means that the launch of an exploitation in a worm style fashion takes all of it out. Right. And so, and I, and I, and I'm not trying to just be, you know, Debbie Downer here, like happy holidays. And here's, here's <laughs> this is why cybersecurity people never go to parties. Um, We're turning into accountants overnight. <laughs> it's like, it's like but I have to say, I have to say that the, the urgency of, of, of this message getting heard, I can't yes. emphasize enough. And that is, um, we have to switch. We have to, f- to flip the switch in terms of the ways that we handle the upstream threat management, threat modeling, Absolutely. and threat hunting. Yeah. We, have to, we have to change our entire uh, development cycle um, not to slow it down necessarily. So don't, so don't, pe- don't panic people who, you know, develop my developer friends are like, ah, there she goes again. <laughs> go back and say, wait, go back and say, okay, we have to get together on this. We have to figure out, this is a given. The speed of development is now one of the most important things that we, we embrace in the new software development um, models. Okay. I'm totally supporting that. What I'm trying to say is we got to automate how we do this and we've got to get the upstream threat hunting done properly in a way that helps us identify these, these holes in code because this log4j thing, it's been out there for a real long time. Nobody ever noticed that it had a problem before it was implemented everywhere. And so um, there's something broken and we just need to go back and figure out very quickly what that is and start implementing a new way of doing things. And so I would like to hope, I hope that that can be a prediction um, for 2022 and beyond because uh, we, uh, you know, we, we, we talk about zero trust. There's a lot of talk about zero trust. We have, I I would say we need now zero trust for a zero day world. Yes. and uh, we've got to figure out how that affects our development cycle because that's where this problem is manifesting. And do you not, in that sense, I, I couldn't agree more, Karen. And yeah. I think, you know, to, to a certain extent, our, our, our greatest lessons are taught by our biggest mistakes. And, you, yeah. you know, from that point of view, this is exactly how I see the last two years. Like we've, the exposure of our mistakes, and, and, and we're being honest here, the, the exposure of our mistakes have happened because the pandemic caught, forced us to change. Yes. It's, it's very comfortable when you don't have to change. <laughs> as soon as you have to change and you have to change your methodology, change your working ways and just expose yourself, that's when the mistakes and the cracks start to show. And, and you know, as, for me, as long as we can learn by our mistakes, take a different approach, a zero trust world for the zero days, I think is a beautiful way to, to, to really you know, drive that forward and, and, and almost get back into the world of saying, well, hold a minute, like if I don't know it, I'm not going to trust it. If I don't know that, I'm not going to trust it. And, and also I'd like to emphasize on, on that as well, but not only that, but also give security teams, and, and I'm talking to a, a, the board level here, like give security teams the resource, the tools and the time to be able to, protect your organization, protect your brand. That's another 
big lesson that I would like, you know, and my prediction is that boards will start in some areas to do that because we are I starting agree. to see the, the need. But, you know, first and foremost, we've mentioned this a long time, but somebody such as a CISO, somebody reporting to the board who has that security knowledge is a real just it's a necessity now for so many organizations that you have to have that expertise at board level. And as a former CISO, Karen, I'm sure you'll 100% agree with me there. But the second point as well is also give them the time, the resource back to protect your brand. This isn't just a a data problem. This isn't just a financial problem. This isn't just a people problem. This is a brand protection issue. And I have no doubt that many organizations don't want to be the next brand splashed across BBC or CNN or wherever it may be. And there's something that you can do about that. So, you know, from that point of view, I think, you know, again, driving into into one of my predictions is that I do believe, and I'm being optimistic here, but I do believe that organizations will take the emphasis of there is a, a desire, and we're certainly seeing a desire. There is a desire for organizations to take security more seriously, not security guys to be, you know, security teams to be there people who sit in the corner at the party who leave at 10 o'clock and, you know, they're, they're, oh, look at the security team again and they're telling me what I'm doing wrong, but actually be part of that culture, be part of the business and, and be actually accelerators to the business as well and not seen as hindrance to organisations. I think that is a really positive thing that we can take out of the mistakes yeah. that have happened. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's such a great point, you know. I mean, even... So it could even help some um, larger organizations to have a liaison from every department with the cybersecurity team or have the cybersecurity team have a liaison with every department, if that's something feasible. Now, a lot of companies do that. Um, you Fantastic. Know, that is the, the whole idea of a yeah. BCO or a BSO, right? you know, that yeah. information security officer. It's just, it's just getting to be a really big, big, big job. You know, my encouragement is that we look at the processes that we, where we can go find the upstream choke point, not to slow things down, but to make sure that we've just dotted all the I's and crossed all the T's. Um, and that we also build automated tools to help us do that so we can do it effectively um, and speedily. Uh, but yeah, we, we, uh, I think we could just, keep, we've been, been in a very, um, uh, I don't know, maybe it's been a little bit of denial and maybe it's just been a little wistful optimism that says, yeah, I can pick up this code from the code base. It's open source. People have got eyes on it. If there's anything wrong with it, we would find it by now. Right. And now, no, that's not true. So let's, let's, yeah, we can just. Look for the opportunities, like James said, make this our best lesson and, uh, and, and move forward from here. Well, there has to be continuity, too, because um, something that is secure today is not going to be secure tomorrow. And like, like take Log4j, you know, that was that exploit. We didn't know about that. And that code's been around forever. So it's it it has to be sort of a continuing process cybersecurity is not just okay we've done our pen testing we're done it's it's a living thing a living breathing thing that has to keep up with with you know the enhanced technology yeah. but i do also agree that you know more automation more ai more tools to really help offload a lot of the tasks that humans just it's just impossible to do. They can't, a person can't correlate, you know, every single thing that's going on. It, it just, it has to be done working in conjunction with, with people. Right? It just burns people out. It, it just literally, you know, and, and, and Karen, you can follow on nicely from here, but it just burns people out. And this is, you know, it's such an emphasis of, you know, okay, yes, you're paying fantastic people, but you've got to give them the tools and technology and resources to help, you know, stopping the burnout, right? It's like asking a paramedic to work 24-7 for a week because you're under-resourced and then, you know, questioning why they're making mistakes on day four because they're just simply exhausted. And then we're questioning it and it's like, well, hold up a minute. You know, again, it's 
you know, and I'm sure, Karen, you'll, you'll follow on nicely from there. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah, well, burnout, we already have a, 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 an epidemic of burnout in the industry yes. of cybersecurity. Our, our own research showed 51% of cybersecurity professionals were self-identifying as burned out. Another interesting study showed that executives who were um, uh, dealing with a pandemic are 25% at the sea level are self-medicating. So we have... Um, we have some real serious issues with trying to deal with everything that's been thrown our way for the last couple of years. Yeah. So finding, you know, be just being aware, like it, it, we, the suck it up buttercup philosophy doesn't work. No. And, and to just say, all right, what do we have to do differently? The world, we aren't going back to the world we were in. Never. That's no. that Pandora's box is open, whatever you want to say, the barn door is open, the cows are all gone. Now, <laughs> the, now we need to say, all right, that's our new reality. Like, what are we going to do from here? So, you know, the, another thing that we kind of chatted about very briefly um, when we were like talking before the show, Tyler, was a lot of people think they have a fallback strategy. Yep. Um, how these things are going to come their way and they're going to you know, maybe smack them, but it's okay. Now we have cyber insurance. We should probably talk about that because some things are changing there too. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, it's in the whole cyber insurance field. It's very interesting to me because let's, let's, let's compare it to health insurance. Well, health insurance, most people are not sick. You know, I, I happen to be one of those people. I have an autoimmune disease. So the insurance companies don't like me because I, I use a lot of the benefits and I always meet my deductible and they spend a lot on me, but I'm in, I'm not the norm. So they're making money off all of the, you know, healthy people paying their, the premiums and they don't have a lot of me's. They have a lot more of healthy people than they do not healthy people, but Cyber insurance, this is the, where, where, I, where I, I just, I need to wrap my head around it. Um, Nobody's cyber, it, it's, Right. It, it's, it, with oh. cyber insurance, it's not a matter of if you're going to get hacked. It's a matter of when. <laughs> so to me, it just seems like a, a, a business model that can't be sustained because if everyone's making a claim, then... How are you? How are you well, bringing in? So it's going to change. It's going to yeah, change we, significantly. It has to. And and the thing the, the thing that baffles me the most is that kind of the first step is you ring your cyber insurance company. You tell them that you've been breached, and the first step is they'll bring in a negotiator. Why are they doing that? That negotiator is going to negotiate a lower ransom if they pay up straight away. Now, what are you saying? What what what? Are you giving the cyber criminals? You're saying, well, we're going to pay something. So no yeah. matter what happens, we're going to pay you something because you've been here. And you think, and, and what we're saying there is cyber insurance is ultimately a get out clause because you're paying X amount of month to get out of the breach and all of those mistakes that may have happened. And it almost, to a certain extent, doesn't matter who's at fault, which is the biggest thing for me, which I think is, the, 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 actually, the worst thing about that, and again, if we can learn anything, then we can learn that cyber insurance is not a fallback. And also, the model is unsustainable because if you're bringing up your insurance company and not having to answer the critical question, critical questions, who's at fault, what happened, there's not really an investigation take place. Don't worry, James. What we'll do is we'll get the negotiator in place and we'll try to handle this ransom for you. To me, that, that's just kind of taking the emphasis of blame away. And to a certain extent, if we get breached, then there is blame in place, unfortunately, whether we like that, that fact or not. Right. And, and, you know, again, like you can't, you know, I, I compare it to car insurance in, in that example. But car insurance, like you have a car accident and the first thing that happens is that there is a collection of evidence. What happened? Where did it happen? Is it a typical black spot for a car accident? Who was at fault? If we can determine that, was there um, somebody pulling out on somebody or did somebody hit into the back of somebody? They typically go and measure skid marks. If the skid marks are tried to determine the speed of the accident and if somebody was speeding, 
we tried to paint a picture of what happened. We tried to, you know, and, and cut car insurance in that sense to trying to paint a picture to ultimately make sure that one, the right insurance company, because naturally there's two insurance companies or more that's involved, the right insurance company is paying out. And secondly, their insurance claim is valid, i.e. if they were doing 100 miles an hour in a 50, they may not be able to claim because they breached their insurance terms because they were speeding, which is what caused the accident. So you know, from that point of view, we should be able to replicate. And this isn't something that's new, is it really? Like right. insurance has always been modelled in this way. Insurance has always been modelled in the way that we can calculate risk to what the terms of conditions of the contract is, to what the payment should be per annum or per month. That That's not something that's new. So, you know, from that point of view, you know, cyber insurance should be really modelled in a very similar way where, yes, if you've done everything possible to the terms and conditions of the contract, then yes, cyber insurance can have a healthy place in organizations but i critically say healthy place because right now i think cyber insurance creates a buffer and an unhealthy relationship with 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 cyber attacks essentially because it's like a catch-all it's like well at least we have this and this will pay out so it's fine yeah it's a get-out clause like if i'm not saying this is what any of us would do but you know from from a point of view as if we were driving our car and it didn't matter what speed we was going or how close we was to the back of the car because that we'd have a brand new car if anything happened and there wasn't any risk around it necessarily um then you know ultimately we may not have the same driving habits and you know for, so from that point of view cyber insurance should not be a get out clause it has to be yeah. a risk mitigated really last resort we've done everything we possibly can and yeah. then but it's actually, potentially the, yeah, I don't, no, no, I don't know. I don't know. Um, so there's the one thing I would say is there's a, in the, in the whole world of risk management, risk transference is an option. So it's not, a, it's not a stage of last resort. It's a stage of um, I am going to um, transfer this risk as opposed to mitigate it. And so the, it's not like mitigate everything possible and then and then transfer the remainder all the time. So it's just not done like that. And um, and so the thing that I think that really happened here recently at the end of November when Lloyd's of London announced that they were putting exclusions for acts of uh, uh, state-sponsored hacking attempts that could be considered acts of cyber war. Um, And it leaves a ton of latitude for definition of cyber war. So let's go roll Drive a truck through it. (laughs) Well, let's go roll back to I4J. Now that we know that this ubiquitous opening is all throughout our critical infrastructure, if some adversary launched in a a worm or worse um, that took vast swaths of our critical infrastructure offline. And we've got eight days or so before this show airs. And so we'll see what happens in the next year. <laughs> but, but, you know, that let's just say that happens. Is that an act of cyber war? And, 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 and does that exclude, does the exclusion in the cybersecurity um, uh, policies by the underwriters now make it so that you can't have coverage under those circumstances, it's almost like a version of force majeure for cybersecurity. So we are seeing for next year, the tee up of a massive change in the insurance industry. Lloyd's is kind of the, you know, the, the prow of the ship. And if they are starting to write these exclusions in it, because our, you know, the, the underwriters are basically saying there's too much risk out there now. And I don't know what this looks like post I4J, but prior to it, that already, those exclusions were already being put in place. So companies really need to look at this. And I think to James's point, we'd love to see you do mitigation as opposed to risk transference as a primary strategy. 
Um, but for those of you who are really thinking that risk transference becomes a great strategy, um, well, you may find yourself on the on the wrong end of an exclusion in the, depending yes. on the kind of attack that it hits us. So, yeah, that's a whole it's a whole bunch of changes coming that affect the cybersecurity landscape for 2022. It's going to be interesting because the I, I agree with you 100% that there's going to be more um, more stringent things that you're going to have to go against. But, you know, it's also going to be interesting too. We may see some court cases. How do you define active terrorism? It, it's some cases we're, are going to be pretty darn obvious, but I think there could be some, you know, like you said, with log, log, log for J. Um, is it an act of terrorism? We don't, well, we don't know yet, but. Yeah, no. Well, the definition, okay. it's, yeah, I'm not, I, I think it would be really great to get a legal expert to talk about this, but the it would, and I'm not a legal but. expert, but I do watch law and order. <laughs> holiday and express last night yeah <laughs> um, well, i was going to bring i was going to bring up the good doc- doctor analogy as we were speaking about this last week and saying that like you know and it was a really good and i'm not a healthcare expert but it was a you know a nora tv show producer but the point is is um you know the good doctor analogy was really interesting and that risk mitigation to risk transfer where you've got um you know, the hospital got hit by a ransomware and the first response from the CEO was, oh, we'll just call it the cyber insurance. And Leah, um, if anybody watches the show, will know that she's the IT um, IT guru or head of IT. I'm not actually sure. I don't think her title's ever been announced. But ultimately, she turned around and said, you know, I will make sure that I reverse engineer this piece of malware. And they gave her a timeline and, and she did it, right? And the point is, is I think it was, a really interesting and actually really a topical um, scene and topical episode because not only was we had a healthcare in the midst of the pandemic, a hospital under pressure anyway, but also then a hospital that had been hit by a ransomware attack. Oh, yeah. And and you think about that is like actually you 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 think about it and you go oh my god what if that happened in real life and then you go oh wow that has happened it in has real happened. life and you you just kind of sit there going wow it's just crazy and you know to exactly your point karen is you know if we think the mentality is just to risk mitigate call the cyber insurance everything's going to be okay it's just not a reliable strategy especially now yeah. we're starting to see you know exclusions in place and and i think you know for me this can go two ways we can either and I think it will probably go the latter, but it may go the route of legal requirement to have cyber insurance. And, and that's the, the format, typically like a car insurance, for example. You're like, where it's just, yes. It's just a legal to. requirement. Or it's a choice, but it's maybe not worth the paper is written on to a certain extent because there are so many exclusions and so many different ways that the insurance company will look in different ways. Um you know, and I'm being blunt in saying that, but I, I do think, you know, you look at certain home emergency covers or certain insurance companies and then uh, insurance covers, sorry, and then you get to the nitty gritty and you realize that maybe that wasn't covered or that wasn't covered. And maybe the investment is better spent elsewhere to, you know, ensure that, uh, that, that, that you're mitigating or at least trying to fight the fire in different elements. And that's probably, you know, again, uh, you know, one area that I certainly would like to to emphasize on is you should really question yourself from a board level and, and the CFO to to the CISO to the, to the CIO should have, you should absolutely have that conversation. Is the cyber insurance a good investment for us or can we better invest elsewhere in our organization? And that's a conversation that everybody should be having. And it's really important yes. for us to all have that conversation. That's that's absolutely absolutely huge. So, so I guess let's uh, let's let's start summing up. So, our prediction: cyber attacks will be will have greater impact, and we'll start seeing more of them. I believe that that is going to be true. I believe we're yeah. seeing it. Um, that 
even though the threat landscape has changed, has shifted to a work from home landscape, this is going to be interesting too, because it's not necessarily even a cyber issue. Um, I've, I've been reading a lot of studies and statistics. Um, I think the last one I read was, and I should actually know this was, was uh, 30% of people asked will never return to an office. That's what they've said. So, we're counting on people wanting to return to offices. And that's really not the case because one of the things that we've actually done through this is we've kind of proven that it can work. And we've enabled it. We've, enabled, we've it. enabled it. We've allowed people to, you know, we've changed people's contracts. We've allowed people to, you know, the, the mass exodus to Silicon Valley to a certain extent, but like we've, we've allowed this to happen. We've allowed, we've hired people on remote contracts and we've expanded the talent pool and we've done that purposely. And I think there's a lot, there's a ton of positives there. You know, we've expanded the talent pool. We've enabled people to stay close to family. So stay close to places they want to live and spend their time and spend their life, flexible working contracts, remote contracts, hybrid contracts. We've enabled this. And to a certain extent, like, as you said earlier, Karen, there's just no going back. Like, we can't just tell people, oh, by the way, you need to sell your house in Texas because we need you back in, in, in California or whatever that may be. You know, there's, there's just no going back from that. And I don't think I'll, I kind of make the comment of I, I think if organization I don't think that will be a, a mass a response from organizations. And I think if any organizations do make that approach, I think it won't. It, I don't think it will positively impact them. Um, at all. I agree. Karen, do you, do you have anything to add to that? Because I really also loved your prediction that, you know, risk transference for cyber insurance is just not acceptable. It's, it's not, you, you have to, you have to know what's in the policy and there are going to be more stringent things coming down. Yeah, I wouldn't, well, I I would just uh, clarify slightly that risk transference is still a legitimate strategy. Right. Um, I don't know that um, I don't know that it's necessarily in our new zero day world going to be the strategy that works. Um, Whether it's reliable, it, it, it may not be reliable, and it may be that you know it's we we've had so many conversations during the pandemic about social responsibility. Yes. So without without landing on one side of that or another. This is very much like the whole vaccine question. Should I get fully protected as a cyber entity um, by doing the right mitigation? Or do I kind of hedge my bets and say, I'm going to take my vitamin, my vitamins. And I'm, and if uh, I get sick, I'll go to the doctor. I mean, that's kind of a risk transference idea in a, in a loose way, but the, and I'm not trying to make a judgment call on either one of them, but in the context of cyber security, um, when we are, when we now have ubiquitous risk um, that spreads like a virus, uh, <laughs> like a very contagious virus, yeah, right? Mutating, constantly mutating. Constantly mutating. Yeah, po- po- polymorph. It's a polymorphic virus. It's it's yeah. like malware. Okay, so there, so there, you could make an analogy. Draw draw sort of an analogy there and say, do we have to switch from a risk transference as a as an acceptable uh, best way to to do some of covering our risk, or do we need to invest more in risk mitigation? So I, I don't want to go so far as to say risk transference is never a good idea, but um, because it, it always will be. The question is how much, what's the balance? And given that, given the shift of the world that we're in today. And I think just to, I think to make it, you know, relatable to everyone in that sense, Karen, because I think you bring up a really strong point there is that like, mm-hmm. when we think about the, the new variant, like we're in December and we think about the new variant and there is so many unknowns again with the Omicron variant that there is a certain element of risk transfer there from governments. You know, we, we went from, you know, only two months ago, the UK government said here that we could take a lateral flow test to enter the country because there was less risk and i'm saying that with inverted commas but because 
we knew that the vaccine, for example, was responding to the Delta variant to a certain extent and, and et cetera, et cetera. We've now shifted to, you know, if you fly into the country, you have to take a PCR test and you have to stay at home until that result. That's, again, the transfer of risk and also the mitigation there because we change. And this is, again, like the cyber landscape, cybersecurity landscape is very similar. We're, like, we're constantly is. having to adapt and flex and grow and mature and actually work with the unknown unknowns as well so often. And again, I mentioned it, you know, possibly 40 minutes ago, like we have all have a huge amount of empathy for the situation because it is a constant shift and a constant, but you have to be flexible. You have to Mm -hmm. know that your strategy can change overnight and you've got to be open to that. And you have to be willing to to open and invest and change and flex um, over a period of time. Tyler, I'd like to add um, another kind of prediction that on the narrative that we spoke about as well, because we, we mentioned Colonial Pipeline, we mentioned um, you know, what happened there as well. And I think that was probably just the start of attacks on critical infrastructure and actually cyber criminals showing and demonstrating how easy it is to affect um, the human lives and affect our personal lives as well. And when we think about that, you know, it's not just an attack on an organization, an attack on a brand, an attack for financial gain. It was really an attack to show the art of possible and to show what can be yes. what can be done. And, and I don't think that's the last one that we're going to see. Um, so that's certainly my 2022 prediction is we'll see more attacks on critical infrastructure, will, which, which will affect our, our daily lives more yes. and more. I, I, I believe that to be true, too. Do you have one one final prediction, Karen, as we start start to to close close off? You know, I would say full employment for all cybersecurity professionals in 2022. I I am actually that is that is we have a couple minutes and I'm I'm so I'm glad you brought that up because um, one of the things that that I do think we're going to see in 2022 is we're going to see companies starting to um, really upskill their cyber employees. So if someone's in a, in a, in a coding position and they want to move into cybersecurity, they'll have, we'll have quick training programs to help upskill those people. But what we're going to see also is we're going to see more programs such as um, hiring veterans and training them in cybersecurity because cybersecurity is not just coding. It's, marketing, it's sales, it's management, it's cybersecurity, it's it's forensics. There's so many different avenues that you can go into. And um, in October, tw- uh, October of this, of 2021, um, <clears throat> jobless, new job uh, unemployment rates in the U.S. were um, 291,000. There's a lot of people that have actually come to me and I help them from other industries and they say, I want to do cybersecurity. How can I get into this job? So we have these untapped resources of of people that are willing, they want to learn it and they want to do cybersecurity because there's jobs there. So I think that we're going to start seeing um, veterans tapped for these types of jobs. And I also think people who are maybe mid-career or maybe even at a, at a later stage in their career that want to change into cybersecurity will see those possibilities open up for them more. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't so. agree more. I, I couldn't agree more. And I think, you know, cybersecurity, to a certain extent, it's accessibility. And it's, and we, we you know, I, I'm, I'll hold my hands up to this and be that, you know, one of the first to fault is cybersecurity can, if we allow it to become this complex world and this, Oh, you know, I've heard about this phishing thing or this attack or whatever it might be, but I just don't understand it. And actually, you're absolutely right. There's sales, marketing, copywriting, language skills. There's so many different skill sets. There's HR, you know, legal. We were talking about legal today and and legal representatives who understand security as well. There's so many different skill gaps that we actually have in our industry that are so desired and so sought after. And, and all of that, I think, you know, I, I couldn't agree more with you, Karen. I think full employment across cybersecurity would be yes. and, and can be an amazing uh, future ahead. The, yes. resource that we, the resource that we need and desire. Yep. Well, Karen, James, 
Um, they, thank you so much. This was such a great episode. I seriously, I feel like I could continue talking to you two for like hours and I may really, really beg for you to come back for another show because we, we will be doing a show on the, um, the technology behind instituting a vaccine passport. <clears throat> um, I'd love to. Perfect. Well, great. Thank you so much for these predictions. Um, thank you for being guests on My Connected Health. Uh, sorry, My Connected Life. This is Tyler Cohen Wood. Um, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to My Connected Life. We have much more for you next Wednesday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until our next show, be careful with your data and your life.